are swift, rocks are ancient, mountains are high. Welcome to The Inner Game. I'm Gwen Garcelon, your host. Thanks for listening. The Inner Game is about how we nurture and attend to our mind-body-spirit health and how that allows us to play a bigger game and make a bigger contribution in the area of purpose that calls to us. And these are conversations with people who are committed to making an evolutionary difference with their lives from a place of balance and love and service. Today, I'm speaking with Sonia Lindman, and my heart is already overflowing with gratitude. (laughs) Sonia has been a beloved local educator for many years, known to some as the teen whisperer. (laughs) She's been an addiction counselor and specialist, a candidate for Garfield County Commissioner, and recently she's developed a retreat center called Seventh Elder, which is on a beautiful and sacred piece of land outside of Glenwood Springs, Colorado. The goal of the retreat center is to serve the servants, to support healing and restoration for community servants like teachers and counselors and first responders. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you, Gwen. That was just beautiful. <laughs> Oh, this is such, you know, it's so wonderful to get to have these conversations because you don't get to hear about people's spiritual journeys very often. You know, we, we talk about so many other things that we're programmed to talk about, but that's not usually something that we know a lot of about each other. So I'd love for just mm-hmm. to start there and to kind of hear you know, some of your spiritual journey, what that, well, how has that unfolded in your life? I feel like I had the um, extreme privilege of growing up in a time and a place in the 60s and 70s where our families were committed to looking at the larger community. Um, we understood our relationship with the land. I remember some of my earliest earliest memories were of being awakened by my mother um, in the spring, and she'd say, come see, the crocuses are up. Mm-hmm. And then my father would stand in um, a civil rights pulpit in the Lutheran Church in the 70s and, and speak of our responsibility across the sea and in other countries. And um, he was a war veteran, and my earliest memories were of... Um, his efforts to bring peace and healing to the community. And um, there was a time in history where, as people gathered, they spoke of ecumenical efforts and um, all the importance of us each holding hands with the person next to us. And that just continued to grow in my life. And um, along the journey... I was driven intellectually to really pursue a concept of how we could shift how we could shift systems and how we could really create new opportunities for all people to become their best selves. Um, and so I ventured into education because it was the one place where not only systems could reflect um, love and honoring and transformation. But you could literally put your hand on a shoulder and connect 
through a thread to a heart and remind people of where they've come from and where they can be. Hmm. Yeah, education is one of those systems, isn't it, that we're seeing in such turmoil. And I feel like it's that evolutionary moment of, you know, in chaos theory, where everything kind of blows apart, so something can reorganize, a more beautiful next iteration can emerge. How do you see that? What's been your experience of that being so in that field and in some pioneering ways? I believe that that is the um, the growth process, and I um, I firmly ground myself in in recognizing that from the dust and from the darkness and from the fear and from from death, um, new life arises. And I really, I really, truly believe that, and have held many kids' hands as they've um, encountered darkness and reminded them that there is hope for the future and and systems um, are being challenged right now and we've been nudging for many many years 30 years plus in my life of nudging and you know trying to address the systems through funding and through legislation and advocating for new programming and training teachers and sitting with parents and um, empowering students and reminding people. And and what I see now is the implosion is natural, and it's so much bigger than all of us. And um, I had a conversation with uh, a gifted advocate this week, and she said what she thinks is going to happen is that people will start saying no, no. I won't go back. I won't sit here. I won't listen to this pain anymore. Both teachers and students and parents and everyone, right? Yeah. Just saying, yeah. no, this isn't working. It's I'm not, not available for this. Right. You know, we see it in the mil- you know, in the Minnesota in the Minnesota teacher strikes. Right. You know, it's just it's really happening. And it's on every level. And I think our greatest frustration or our barriers is is that we only seem to look at the world through our own lens. And and that kind of that kind of limited myopathy just um continues to build systems that are very that are very siloed. And when we see people coming together and really trying to connect with each other and understand each other's journey and each other's path, we then can see the opportunity for new evolving systems that serve everybody and welcome everybody. So what are we, what, what would you like us to be saying mm. yes to in education? What are the glimmers of hope that are emerging and the new models it's so complicated, yeah. you know. I I think that um, in any kind of a systems reform, we look at larger perspective, and we we recognize what's happening globally around um, people coming together around things that mean something: um, community, sustainability, personal purpose, um, spiritual connection. Those are the things that are driving people globally. And then nationally, we have to recognize that old systems are perhaps archaic, and we need to recognize that there are ways to let them transform into something that will be inspiring. And so we now see teachers and families and kids pushing back on um, systems that 
the rigidity is keeping them from flourishing and living vibrantly and recognizing their ancestry and their power and their futures and um and and so those systems are the word system keeps tripping me up mm. because it's what we what we need to recognize you know through legislation and all of those protocols and you know new hires and all of that stuff that gets in the way of us really talking about being heart centered and so this the programs that are working and those kind of connected moments for kids to feel like they belong that is rare and it's starting to rise again in ways um that that are bringing kids voices to the front families voices to the front in a way of like Tokopa Turner is a is an author and she speaks of belonging and how that is the deepest core cellular need that we have and when we go anywhere or when we are anywhere where we feel alienated or marginalized it's impossible for us to be our best selves so it's going to look different for different communities it's going to look different for different peoples but that's where we have to start is the true love and belonging as we look into a kid's eyes they know whether we're bullshitting them or we're telling the truth they know whether or not we truly love them and respect their journey or not mm, that feels like sort of a uh, a non-negotiable for an effective educational um, environment, a learning environment, that it might be really hard to learn much if you're not feeling like you belong or like you're seen or respected. And valued. And valued. Valued. You know, I, I really, since I've left um, the day-to-day 10-hour pace and have been able to kind of go more introspectively into more reading and research and and not being distracted by all of the jet, you know the boxes you have to check and the paperwork you have to get done and all of this stuff that really moves us away from our purpose and towards um, concentrating on liability and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, since I've been able to really reimmerse myself in the love of learning and the love for kids and families in a way that um, heals heals my sadness um, as well. It has been so clear to me that we have had these we've had these opportunities in place that our indigenous peoples are people of community know how to reach our children mm. they know and when we move into roles of leadership and we don't listen to that belonging method and to the to the recognition of um, the wisdom of connectivity and slowing down the pace and um, it, it'll break it'll break apart and yeah. so um, the indigenous wisdom is my absolute grounding space right now how do you see that um, showing up in educational environments do you see it showing up at all is it is it in more of the you know what's called i mean my daughter's on an outdoor education (laughs) trip right now Mm -hmm. you know and and that's just sort of more time to be in nature and to learn through being in outdoor environments that feels like a piece of indigenous wisdom showing up in an educational setting. Yeah, it is a piece, and there are lots of models that are out there, whether they're 
outdoor-based or they're community-based or they're heart-centered. And and here's the thing that's so complex is that we, you know, we we come to we come to each other with our own perception of what that means. And I've bumped up against words like soft and words like, um, oh, I don't know, uh, too liberal or too floaty or too too this or too that. And what we're what we're finding is that the more you empower and strengthen and raise your children, the more the journey to the intellect or the journey to collaborating on um, the harder stuff of life, whether it's science and math and some of the classical literature pieces, all of those things start to fall into place when your soul is good Mm. and your relationships are strong. So we're kind of doing it backwards, trying to just sort of put in all the information without necessarily honoring and connecting and building up the whole sort of social, social, emotional person. And I know that many schools actually do do that and focus Mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. but it's not necessary. It's then we see it being challenged right now in the world. Right. You know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, doubt of that and assault of of that as part of the educational model right and i think um we became very efficient and when you become efficient um you lose touch and so uh, this you know this conversation is so deep and so broad and it's so hard to identify models at work and um now models that would have worked pre-covid for instance would be perhaps not even approachable now. Or you might have people responding to community needs that we haven't had before or funding issues that we haven't had before or legislative issues or the attack of, of anything that is a little bit um, n- non-square, um, mm-hmm. anything that's not square and, mm-hmm. and manageable and controllable mm-hmm. and all of those kind of things. Right, so I... You know, education is one piece of it, but I, I that's part of the reason why I feel so committed right now to serving our servants on a larger perspective, because the education, education system has always been available to grow our future and to build our best people, but it hasn't. And we have many, many, many kids who have felt marginalized and outside of that loop, and we have many families who feel that way, and we have many communities that feel that way. Mm. And so that's where I've lived my whole professional career. But now, as I think about um, casting the wider net, and I have um, an honor of working with like the Hope Center and their education and outreach communities. And, and for um, those people who don't know what the Hope Center is? It's, um, it's a crisis response team, and the mental health um, providing system within that organization has just become robust like we're serving people from aspen to parachute and a very we have you know school clinicians school-based clinicians we have crisis response we have education and outreach we just have numerous um, programs that are building in response to a community that's under duress yeah and so that's one way that we can continue to reach out but more importantly what are we doing for ourselves how are we building our own our own journeys. How are we stepping back enough from our day-to-day work, from our day-to-day life experiences to really go inward enough to recognize that when we do this work internally and we pay attention to our intrinsic bias, 
when we recognize how we interact with other people, when we realize and really commit to being part of the whole, when we do that kind of spiritual work, every interaction we have is impacted. And, and that's the tricky part. We don't yeah. take the time. Yeah. Let's dig into that. For, I just want to say for those just joining, this is Gwen Garcelon, and you're listening to The Inner Game on KDNK. I'm talking with Sonia Lindman, an educator, healer, and wise woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tawu. <laughs> and, and let's talk about that need to, I mean, that's obviously, you know, the the reason for this show is to, is to become aware of the more aware of the value of doing this inner work of uh, of healing our own wounds of being aware of them and their impact and as we strengthen ourselves and become more whole in our purpose what a greater contribution we can have in all of the areas of our lives so you know speak a little bit more about that sonia well, you started with um, asking me about my childhood and, and that journey of spirituality. And um, I did have the privilege of being able to choose employment over the years where that was a core component of everything I did. And um, and so from taking students on pilgrimages to recognizing good literature and how we can guide the spirit through um, paying attention to what is important and perspective and and audience and all of the journeys and the stories that can build our communities, um, I feel like now we are we're we're positioned to say no to much of what used to distract us from inner work and from connective relationships with other people, and so. The greatest teachers that I have encountered are now showing up in bookshelf after bookshelf after bookshelf, and, and people are writing so much more, and they're, and they're listening to each other. And that kind of access to that wisdom is at the fingertips of all of us. And there is really such a resurgence of oh, this yes. you know, realization that there's this whole realm of life that mm-hmm. hasn't really you know, had a place you know, as much as, you know, our, our work and family and, mm-hmm. you know, not those things are very important, but not without the support and the guidance that we get through our spiritual connection. Right. However that looks for us. Right. And I think that that's the beautiful part of this is that we each have our own journey. And, and the true, um, the true hope for me is to recognize that as we encounter that, it takes a lot of vulnerability yeah. and it takes a lot of silence and it takes a lot of commitment and it takes a lot of of time to focus our energy into slowing down yeah. and listening to each other and faithfully encountering that, um, you know, I have these people that, that I've that I've met that are great teachers and they might be on a bus or they might be in the park or in a book. Mm -hmm. And as they teach us how to slow down and listen, um, there is a culminating effect in our bodies, in our wellness. There's a culminating effect in our thinking Mm -hmm. and how we see and interpret the world. 
there's it's a, revolutionary, it isn't is. it? You and, know, to actually, and even to make the time to slow down <laughs> is kind of revolutionary because right. you have got to buck these trends that are telling us mm-hmm. busy, busy, busy is the is the gold, you know, is the brass ring, you know, and it's just right. like we've been sold this bill of goods that keeps us from mm-hmm. real wholeness mm-hmm. as human beings. In fact, many of the people that I work with and folks that have been coming out to the retreat center have said things to me like, please don't use words like um, self-care or, <laughs> you know, the, it's triggering. Yeah. It's triggering for yeah. people to say, how am I going to do that? I can't pay my bills. I can't get my yeah. kids where they need to go. And so we're caught up in this rat race that's real. Yeah. And I think the the beauty of the last four to five years has been that it's kind of put a stick in our in our spokes and said, sorry. You cannot live like this anymore. Yeah. Your body won't take it. Your mind won't take it. Your spirit won't take it. And so we've risen up in a way that we're saying, no, gently, compassionately, no. We are going to live differently. Yeah. And when we do that collectively, there is enough. There's enough resource. There's enough time. There's enough spirit to go around for everybody. And I've lived in the world of legislation. I've lived in the world of, of protocol. I've lived in the world of certifications on the wall and I get all of that stuff but none of it matters if we continue to drive ourselves into the ground and we are not heart-centered so as we build those systems and as we reach out to each other and we look at all of that whether it's health care schools or education or the environment when we are right in ourselves and we are right with our hearts and we are right with others and we recognize that we are all related when we really do that, we will have a different approach to our daily lives and our collective consciousness. And if the, and if we're building something that doesn't allow us to do those things, it ain't right. No, it won't work. <laughs> it won't work. It won't work. Yeah, it's part of the old paradigm. Mm. Yeah. I want to hear from you a little bit more about Seventh Elder in the last couple of minutes. Can you give us sort of a thumbnail of what like you'd like to share about that? Sure. Um, Seventh Elder is three acres space. It is a sacred space on Canyon Creek. And it was um, the story behind acquiring, for lack of a better word, that that space to share. It is just too long to go into here. But um, the purpose behind it has been present in my heart and my head forever. And I actually drew the picture of it when I was 18 years old in high school. And then it's slowly manifested and come to fruition over the years. And where it sits now is that the website's almost done. But more importantly, um, people are coming. They know that there is a place for them to respite. Um, we, we offer it to our community. We offer it to serving the servants. We know people can't stay in the game and continue to advocate and work with kids and families unless they, unless they take a minute for breath. Mm-hmm. And so those retreats can be offered in days or um, weeks. And it's everything from restorative justice to social workers to, um, like you said, EMTs or first responders. Mm-hmm. And it's in the earth and it's in the creek. Yeah. I feel like it, it, it's so right on because it's really in our connection to Gaia, mm-hmm. to the earth energy, that we get the guidance for how to move forward and to build this new world that we are visioning. And so when you're taking that time to connect and rest in the palm of Gaia, you know, that is also so instructive. It is. Yeah. It's hard to look 
at a new shoot in the spring as it comes through the earth, or to watch the sunrise, or to watch the water continue to flow. It's hard to do that and not believe in miracles and mysticism and ancestors and wisdom. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) That's a gorgeous place to wrap up. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. If you have a question for Sonia or me, please join the Facebook page at The Inner Game. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas, and you can find out where to listen to past shows there as well. And until next time, find any way you can to do your inner work and heal. Thank you, Gwen. Rivers churning, planets twirl.